Have you ever had a situation, maybe at a job or in your home, maybe as a child, your mother came in and said to you, you know, I want you to do this chore, this task, but didn't give you any further direction or instruction than that? Or you, you were at your job and somebody said to you, can you just take care of that? And then walked out of the room and then you were like, but I don't know how to do that. Or maybe you had a situation just, you know, in your life where something's happened and you don't know how it's going to be evaluated. You don't know how it works. You don't know how it's supposed to come together. And then you're kind of left just to figure it out on your own. Well, it's not a very good feeling. I remember there was one particular class when I was at university that I just absolutely hated. And I had to take it as part of my degree, which was communication studies. And uh, it was called linguistics. And I did, I just did not understand about half of what was being talked about in that course. And, and Carol Thorne was an excellent teacher, I'm told, but I just, just, I just didn't get what was happening. And, and at one particular point, there was a project, and I, I looked at the syllabus, the instructions, you know, for the class, and I, I looked and it said, pick one of these topics for study. And so I did a topic that was on the list, and then she failed me on the paper, which I'm not accustomed to being failed. So I went to her and I said, like, what's going on? She said, this wasn't one of the assigned topics. And I said, but it was on the list. She said, but that's on the list for next semester. And I said, why is that on the syllabus if it's not until next semester? And I was upset because I had been evaluated against a different standard than I thought I was working for. And I was confused by the situation. I thought I was doing what I was supposed to do, but in the end, I got a failing mark, and I had to do a whole new paper again, which meant that I waited till that deadline for that paper, and I just did it the night before again. I think we've all had a situation where we don't even know how this is supposed to be judged or evaluated or how the situation is being marked or the assignment is being done. And it's a frustrating thing when we're just kind of guessing in the dark. And then especially if... Especially if at the end of the test, so to speak, we're told that we failed. When we're like, well, if you had just told me what you wanted from me in the beginning, maybe I could have gotten it right. And I told you a number of weeks ago how um, when I first became a Christian as a young child, I often just prayed over and over again to make sure that God heard me. Because I was terrified that I, if he hadn't heard me, that I wouldn't end up in heaven and I'd end up in And so that motivated me out of, well, fear. And what I want us to do today is we've been going through the series, we've been looking at a doctrine or a teaching of the church and what we've learned from Scripture, how the Spirit speaks to us. But we've been trying to make sure that we understand that teaching so that we know how to live. And so today the doctrine that we're going to look at is judgment. We've looked at salvation already. And now we're going to look at judgment. Now, what I'm actually going to do today is, is I'm going to do a pretty quick pass on explaining what it is that we believe, because we've spent some time on this already in Revelation, the series that just went past. So I'm not going to spend a tremendous amount of time. What I'm going to spend most of our time looking at is how do we live in light of a coming judgment? So with that said, let's, let's just look at a bit of an explanation of judgment. And I've left it pretty short for us. What basic Christian teaching on judgment is, is that all people, 
not simply members of the Christian faith, but all human beings throughout time will be judged at Christ's return according to what they've done to eternal life or condemnation. Now, when I say that you'll be judged based on what you've done, you might push back because you say, isn't it just all about faith in Jesus? And yes, of course, faith in Jesus is the key cornerstone to you know, what it means to live as a Christian. But what Scripture teaches us clearly in multiple places is that it's actually we are evaluated by our deeds, which might come as a surprise to you. So let's look at some of these texts that give us this background. Uh, These are coming from the words of Jesus himself. Judge at Christ's return according to what they've done. So in Matthew 16, 27, Jesus says, For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and will judge all people according to their deeds. Now, if you're not clear, the Son of Man is the way that Jesus refers to himself uh, in many of the Gospels. And so here what he's talking about is a future time. Well, he's obviously he's come, he's present amongst them now, so he's talking about some future time where he will come again as the Son of Man with his angels in glory of his Father and will judge all people, so here we see all people, according to their deeds. Now, it's not just this one verse that that idea is built on. We, we saw it in Revelation. I mentioned it there. And it's a number of other places throughout the text of Scripture that it says that we will be judged by our deeds. Let's go to the next uh, verse where it talks about eternal life or condemnation. Here in John chapter 5, uh, verses 24, and then again 28 into 29, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins. They have already passed from death into life. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. Now, let me just make something clear, because when we hear the word judgment, sometimes it has two different implications. Every single human being will experience judgment, which is an evaluation, so to speak. But in some senses, when we say the word judgment, we actually mean more condemnation. The judgment will be that you are condemned. So it's like a short form of saying that, essentially. So here, Jesus is making it very clear. He says, if, you, if you're listening to my words and understanding what the Father's message is, you've already passed a life if, you're, if you've accepted that, if you've received it. You've already begun to experience eternal life. But those who are going to continue doing evil are going to experience, and I'll change the word, condemnation when, at the judgment. So if you come before the judgment throne and you have become a follower of Jesus and you are living for him, then you don't need to be afraid. In fact, uh, there's another uh, verse in, I think it's Romans chapter 8, and it says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what Jesus is saying here is, you don't need to be afraid if you are one of my followers, one of mine. But if you're not, the judgment will be condemnation. So that's really a very quick summation 
of what Christians teach and believe about judgment. It's coming. It's for everyone. That there is a way to be on the, the good side and there's a way to be on the side of condemnation. And that is to be in relationship with Jesus as revealed by our deeds. Now that's kind of the key, I think, to this. We'll talk about that in a moment. But let's, let's go on to the next slide. And I want to simply just ask this question. So what should we do? If we're going to be judged by our deeds and the things we've done, what should we do? And I think some of us immediately start to say, oh, well, I'm already out. Like, really, I'm, if, if I'm going to be judged based on the things that I've already done, I'm toast. Don't, don't go there just yet. Um, but what do we do? Like, I, I think we're, let, let's be honest with each other, none of us is perfect. None of us is going to get this 100% right. So is this like what we sometimes picture of some sort of scale of justice that our good has to outweigh the bad? It seems a little funny, right? Uh, I, I remember at one point talking to a man um, some years ago, and he, he was just, he was not a churchgoer by any means, didn't, as far as I know, have any kind of relationship with, with Jesus, with the Lord. But he, he said to me that he had paid for the oil tank at his church, and so he knew he was good. Um, that's not really how it works. Um, you have to pay for the pastor's oil tank. <laughs> no, I just. <laughs> I, I didn't plan that one. Uh, please do not try to pay for my oil. Okay. Um, what should we do, though? What should we do? Um, so I want to start, like, teasing this out. Like, how do we live, then? If we're going to be judged based on our deeds, what's that about? What does it mean? How do we live? Let's go to the next slide here. Um, and, and what I want to talk about, and these, these aren't, the words that I'm using here, they're not perfect, okay? This isn't, um, but what I'm trying to do is describe a dynamic that we see in Scripture with these words. And what I think many people will try to do when they hear that they're going to be judged based on their deeds is they're going to start trying to do a lot of good deeds with the hopes that it's going to earn them favor, Right? So that's one way to live. Well, that's one way to try to live is to just try and do a lot of good things so that God will look at you in, with favor and try to earn kind of that connected relationship. But the, the other way to live is what I'll suggest to you is the right one, is to have a relationship with the Lord and out of that we do things. And here the motivation is very different. The, the source of our action is very different. And uh, we're, we're going to examine that a little bit more closely as we go. Um, there's different words and ways that we could express this. We could also say that we, the first one is to have action that leads to a reward. Um, certainly, there's a lot of people that try to earn the favor of God. and It's seen as a reward or a payment for the good things they've done. But that's really kind of against the teaching of Scripture. And we need to be very careful that we understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. Some of you, um, maybe you've experienced kind of uh, the unwanted advances of someone who's interested in you. Where 
maybe they've gone to a great extreme to try to win your affections, but you don't actually maybe know them very well. And you've received a gift that as soon as you get it, it makes you feel quite awkward. You know, if someone were to show up and, you know, a potential suitor and say to you, um, well, I'll do it towards myself. Now, Gordon, uh, I've been noticing you. And um, <laughs> why does that sound so, like, unlikely? <laughs> well, I could pick one of you if you'd like. <laughs> you know, Gordon, I've been noticing you, and I, I, I wanted to introduce myself. And uh, I thought, you know, I, maybe you'd like a new car. Listen, I mean, I'd like a new car. I'm sure you would too, but that would be creepy. (laughs) Right? And when we try to do things to create the relationship, well, I'm not sure that God gets creeped out by us so much, but it just doesn't jive. That's not really how it works. Whereas, if out of a relationship with somebody, if I said to my mother someday, you know, Mom, like, God's blessed me, and I love you, and I got you a car, she would be like, oh, you are the best son that I have. Forget your brother Colin. He's dead to me. You are the best. Right? Like, that's how it would work. Mind you, I'm never going to buy my mom a car. (laughs) um, So you understand, there's a difference here with the way things kind of come around. Now, that's a little bit of a trite example, but I I want you to begin to see that it, it matters how we do these things, how they fit together. And we're going to look now again at some of the words of Jesus and and how he's describing people getting this wrong. Let's look at this in Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus uses this incredible image. This is I'm just taking the last part of it before he goes into this next section. But he talks about how a tree is recognized or known by or judged by its fruit. And we know if a tree is good based on the fruit that it produces. So listen to what he says here. Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Interesting. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Are you hearing this now? Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, which you would think is a good thing. We cast out demons in your name, which you would think is a good thing. And performed many miracles in your name, which you would think is a good thing. And then Jesus says, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Doing the good things isn't the thing. The good things are meant to be The fruit of the good tree. We are judged by what we do, but because what we do is a reflection of who we are. And if who we are isn't really someone who's in a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't matter. This is the creepy man or woman who gives the gift of a car, but doesn't know the person. I never knew you, Jesus says. And so here we see it's not enough just to do the good things. And now you say, well, now there's no hope for me because even doing good things isn't enough. Well, no, 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 no. 
The point here is you need to be in a relationship with Jesus. That's what he cares most about. And the things that you do should be a reflection of that relationship. But if you don't have the relationship, you're lost. Let's keep going. On to the next slide. Some more words of Jesus. Here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Jesus says, Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they've received all the reward they will ever get. So here's people, again, who are doing good things, but the good things aren't the thing. The thing isn't about just doing the good things. These are people who are doing it for appearances. And Jesus says they're getting it wrong. It's not just about giving gifts. You see, what's the real reason they're motivated? It's they're trying to get a relationship with other people, not even with the Lord, really. They're doing their good deeds publicly to be admired by others. And that's something that we're, we can just be so prone to. We can do all kinds of good things and with the hopes that someone else will look at us and say, oh, what a great person they are. And it begins to actually be a manipulative relationship with the people in our lives. Where instead of actually acting out of love, we're acting out of a desire to receive something. And we're really just trying to manipulate them. And we're using them as a way to get what we want. That doesn't sound like the God who is love. That doesn't sound like that's something he would be delighted by. It's not just enough to do good deeds. It has to be done in and out of a relationship with Jesus. And that's how actual real fruit comes. You see, if you're just really interested in looking like you're doing good things, but you don't care about having good roots actually producing good fruit, then you'll do whatever it takes to make it look like you've got good fruit in your life. And you'll have all kinds of plastic fruit sitting in a bowl. And you'll be taping it and zip-tying the fruit, the plastic apples to your tree to make it look like... But that's not going to feed nobody. Not very good English. Should have paid more attention in linguistics. Nobody is nourished by, satisfied by, a fake fruit. And we can try to pretend like we are doing the right thing for the right reasons, but God can see, and what we actually do, what's actually evidenced in our life, will reveal who we really are. And so he will judge us by our fruit, by our deeds, because he can also see where they've come from. Jesus is able to tell the difference between plastic fruit and real fruit. So let's go on now and look at this next section where we see how it comes out of a relationship with Jesus and how the things that we do can be good and life-giving, not just for others and for ourselves, but as a blessing to the Lord. Listen to this. This is just a beautiful... I'd love to talk about this passage more in depth at some point. This is Jesus talking about being the vine and us being the branches. Listen to how he describes this image. John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Remain in me. In other words, in relationship with me. 
and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you can't be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, apart from Jesus, it's all fake fruit. Fake plastic trees. But what Jesus is saying here is, if you're in a relationship with me, and I'm the source of your life, you will find flowing out of you the good things that you want to see. Now listen, none of us, as I've said, are ever going to be perfect. But if we are in Him and we are connected to Him as the source of our life, that's the only possible way to flourish and to be involved in what all that He has for us. You know, to extend this image and this passage a little further, what happens if you cut the branch off of a tree? It dies. It's not going to produce any new fruit. I, listen, I'm not a gardener at all. But I've had to do a little bit of gardening this past week. And I have this one branch that came off of a tree. You know what? Right now, it looks great. The leaves on it are green. But what's it going to look like in a couple of days or a week? It'll be pretty evident that it has nothing to sustain it. It has no source of life. That it's just living off of its own power, its own strength. But it's got nothing to nourish it, nothing to grow it, nothing to produce even more than it already is. And if you want to have life, if you want to be welcomed into the life of Jesus, you start now in relationship with him. And you draw on him as the source of life for all things. And if he's your source of life now here on earth, well, then he will be that for eternity. Now, let's, let's look at a few. Uh, Jesus has talked about how important it is to be in relationship with him because out of that comes the good things that we do, our actions, our fruit. But let's look at a couple passages now where other commentators in the New Testament are talking about that relationship with Jesus in a different way. Most of these, I think, actually come from Paul, but one comes from John. Um, here in, in Romans 5, 16 and 17, Paul is writing this, and he's going back to sort of the, the original story with Adam and Eve at the beginning of the book. Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we're guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So yes, yes, you say, well, I've done a lot of bad things, things that I'm not very proud of. But here we read, even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of being right with God, righteousness. So even though we are guilty of many sins, God gives us this gift, this grace, when we are in Jesus. And I had this wonderful image that I saw one time uh, at my parents' church in Quebec City where uh, the, the pastor took a piece of paper and he put it inside of a Bible 
closed it up and said, can you see the piece of paper now? Of course, the answer is no. We just see the Bible. He said, this is a simple illustration of what it's like when we are in Christ Jesus. When we stand before the judgment throne, what does God see? He sees his son. And because we are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for us. That's the relationship. That's how we are judged, if we are his. Let's go to the next verse. Here in Ephesians, Paul again is writing, 2 verses 8 through 10, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. In other words, it doesn't start by us doing something to earn it. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Where does it start? It starts with that relationship of belief in Jesus, that new life. And when we have that relationship with Jesus, we do do things. It's always strange when you say do do, right? We do do things, but it's based out of that relationship with Jesus that gives us life, strength, power, and abilities that are beyond our own capacity because we're always going to track towards sin. But he gives us the capacity for something new, some new life. And it's a gift. We can't earn it. But when we have that new relationship, we will do new things. Let's look at the next verses from John, 1 John, verses, uh, or chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 and 23 to 24. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him, and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gives us lives in us. What are we hearing? We're hearing that a relationship with Jesus results in us having a new way of relating to others. Previously, we saw the Pharisees, the hypocrites, the people who were doing things in a manipulative way to gain a reward. But now we see that the way of Jesus is to love other people and to give to them with compassion. Now, out of what's in our hearts, we act, we care, we love. And if we don't do that, then it means that we actually probably don't have the love of God in us in the first place. Like the hypocrites, they were doing it not because they had love in their hearts, but because they wanted to gain something. They wanted to manipulate, to, to re receive a reward from others. But those who are in a relationship with Jesus have experienced an incredible gift of life and love, and out of that are acting in compassion towards other people. And by following and obeying God's commands, they're staying connected to the vine. Because that's what it means to live with Jesus, is that we're now based on his life. So we live life his way. And if we're not doing his commandments, if we're not listening to his voice, if we're not trying to endeavor to remain in relationship with him, 
then like a dead branch will be cut off and thrown in the trash heap. And those aren't my words, those are Jesus. So we see here the importance of relationship with God. And now I want to take you back again to the words of Jesus where he talks about this all the more clearly in terms of the judgment and evaluation of our lives at the end. Here we go back to Matthew 25. This is Jesus speaking, and he's giving this illustration of how judgment will go, and he's sort of talking about it as if, you know, he's a shepherd separating sheep from the goats. And I've sort of abbreviated the passage because it's quite long. And he's talking about the shepherd sort of, he says, he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, remember those are the sheep, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick, you cared for me. I was in prison, you visited me. And at this point in the story, they say, whoa, when did we ever see you in those situations? Like, when did we feed you when you were hungry? When did we, like, we didn't even know you were there. And then Jesus, the king says, tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, that's the goats, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. What's interesting for me in this passage is that the sheep are recognized by their actions, what they do. And they don't even realize where God is in the story. They're not trying to earn his favor. They're not trying to do something to get his attention. They don't even notice him. They're just doing it. Because that's who they are. They are sheep. They are sheep who belong to the shepherd. They know the shepherd's voice. They know the shepherd's way. They know what it is to live with the shepherd. So they're not trying to get attention. They're not trying to, they just take care of the people around them. They, they do what the shepherd would want them to do. And as a result, He says, you were doing that for me, and they didn't even realize it. And when we are acting in such a way that we don't even realize what we're doing, we're just doing good because it's the good thing, and that's who we are as people of Jesus. That's what Jesus loves because we are in relationship with us, with him. And he sees who we are, that we are his. And so, yes, he's going to judge us based on our actions, our deeds, our fruit. But all of that is just going to simply reveal who we really are and whose we really are. So you don't need to live in fear, wondering whether or not this thing you did in grade 7 is going to weigh out more heavily than who you are and the good thing the oil tank you bought yesterday. You don't have to live with this constant tally of doing one good deed. Oops, I did two bad ones. Better do three good ones tomorrow. That's not how this works anymore. 
There's not this great balance sheet. You have been included into the life of Jesus. And because of that, you're going to start bearing fruit. You're going you're gonna to receive all of his life-sustaining power. And yes, you're going to make mistakes. Yes, you're going to stumble. Yes, there's going to be little things you have to prune off of the branch. But the fruit will become evident if you are in relationship with Jesus. And if I am judged based on my own works, I'm dead meat. But if I'm based on my relationship with Jesus and whether he's alive in me, I have all the hope in the world and my sin is just wiped away. And his acts of righteousness, the good that he has done, is attributed to me. Ah, that's glory. That's grace. That's life. And so, yes, we should be rightly concerned that we will be judged in the end. But our response to that should not be fear. Shouldn't be a constant tallying of works. Rather, it should be a deeper, deeper desire to be in right relationship with Jesus because that's our only hope for life. What a wonderful thing that is to hear. That's, that's good news because it's not about what we can do anymore. It's about what he's done for us. It's not about us being perfect. It's about his perfection being called ours. His life for ours. And when he is in the midst, we have all the power we need because He gives us His Holy Spirit to enable us to do all the more. And so as I end this sermon today, I want to I, I close by using sort of a prayer uh, from Thessalonians. Let's, let's go to that now. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 11 and 12. So we keep on praying for you. I keep on praying for you. Asking God to enable you to live a life worthy of His call. May He give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then, the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with Him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.